Well, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark for some time, and uh, the Gospel of Mark's the shortest of all five, all four of the Gospels, and uh, it's kind of divided into two sections. The first eight chapters answers the question, who is this man? It's all about the identity of Jesus. And then the last seven chapters has to do with uh, why did he come? What's his mission? What's his purpose? What has he come to do? And so we've looked uh, in some detail at the first eight chapters, and, uh, and the question, who is this man, is actually answered in the very first verse of the book. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Mark just puts it right there on the very front doorstep to let us know who Jesus is. And then the, next, the rest of the next eight chapters, it just talks about Jesus demonstrating who he is. He is the Son of God. He has authority. In fact, authority is one of the key words. He has authority over demons. The very, one of the first things he does is that he casts demons out of people. And then, uh, then he has... Uh, authority over disease. He heals lepers. He heals blind people. He heals crippled people. And he has authority over nature. He calms storms and things like that. Walks on the water. And after each of these miracles, people will say, man, we've never seen anybody with this kind of authority. Who is this man? How, how, uh, wh- what do we do with him? What's he, why has he come? And uh, he feeds multitudes of people with uh, uh, 5,000 on one occasion, 4,000 on another occasion with just a handful of food and so forth. And so all these first eight chapters just deals with uh, who he is. Who, who is this man? Well, he's, he's the son of God. He has authority. He has come with power and authority. And uh, he comes announcing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the authority of God. And so everybody's got their hopes up. Their expectations are up. You know, how's he going to do this? What, uh, how, how is he going to, uh, how's he going to bring in the kingdom? And, of course, most of the Jewish people in his day thought that the Messiah would come and he would raise an army and that he would overthrow all of the enemies. And, of course, at this particular time in history, it was the Roman government that was in rule over them. And they had this idea, he's going to, he's going to conquer. He's going to defeat our enemies, and he's going to raise us up, and we're going to become the, the world rulers, and the kingdom will be here in Israel. And so uh, that's... Uh, that's kind of uh, the idea that they had. And so Jesus takes his disciples up to uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he says to them, uh, who are people saying that I am? What's the, what's the talk around town? Who do people think I am? And they said, well, you know, some say you're this person. Some say you're John the Baptist, risen back from the dead, uh, some say that you're uh, Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Well, that's, that's interesting. But who do you say that I am? That's what he asked his disciples. And Peter answered him, We believe you are the Messiah. We believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus 
said, you get an A+. Plus. You got the right answer. That's who, <laughs> that's who I am. And, uh, and then Jesus said, now, I am the Messiah. You're right. And I've come to rescue the people. I've come to save people. And here's how I'm going to do it. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And there I'm going to be hated. I'm going to be despised. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. And I'm going to be crucified. And then I'll rise from the dead. Well, the disciples' jaws just dropped. They, uh, now, let's see if we got this right. You're the Messiah, the Christ, that we've been expecting all our life and that our ancestors have all been expecting all their lives. You're the Christ. And you're going to die? And not just die, you're going to be, you're going to be killed? And then rise from the dead. And Jesus said, that's right. And Peter, who had just made this amazing statement, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter says, Lord, I, that, that can't be. I mean, you're, you're the Messiah, and we have it all figured out how you're supposed to do everything, and it doesn't include you dying. It, 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 it includes you conquering. Jesus said, I, I will conquer. I plan to conquer. But I'm going to do it through death and resurrection. And that was just puzzling. And uh, so the rest of the book is about Jesus' plan to fulfill his mission in a way totally surprising, amazing, almost unbelievable to his disciples. So today I want us to look at what he says beginning in uh, Mark chapter 9 verses 30 through 37. And he's going to he's going to lay forth the prerequisite for belonging to his kingdom. This is important for us to hear today. They went on from there. This is, uh, yeah. And they went on from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know. In other words, he's uh, he's trying to stay away from the crowds now because he's trying to teach his disciples something very, very specific. So he's he's taking kind of a a, a, a back route so that he would not be attracting crowds. He's been teaching the crowds up until now, but now he was teaching his disciples. And he was saying to them, this is the second time he said it now, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise from the dead. And... Uh, they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. They, they must have been whispering to one another, what was he talking about? For one thing, they, they sure didn't understand this thing about rising from the dead. I mean, nobody does that, do they? And I mean, just imagine if, 
If somebody said to you, now, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be killed, but don't worry because in a few days after I've been killed, I'm going to, I'm going to rise from the dead and you'll see me again. That'd be hard to believe, wouldn't it? It'd be really hard to believe. And so they, in the first place, he's already blown their mind with this idea that, that he's talking about being killed because that wasn't part of the plan as they understood it. And then when he says, and, I, and I'm going to rise from the dead, they just didn't know really what to say. They didn't understand him. They were afraid to ask. But when they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, uh, what, were, what were you discussing along the way? He says, uh, as we were traveling here, I heard you guys back there whispering to one another, talking to one another, and uh, what were you talking about? Now, he already knew, obviously, but he asked them, what were you talking about? But they kept silent. They, uh, they oh, no, nothing. You ever... You ever hear somebody talking or something? You say, what are we talking about? You say, you kids, you hear them talking about something. What are y'all talking about? Nothing? Well, you know it's something. And uh, and they were, they, they kept silent because they had been arguing about who was the greatest. <laughs> now, can you imagine? Now, look. These guys have been with Jesus for two and a half years. And they've seen him lay his life down for people one after another. I mean, lay himself down. Not that he had died physically yet. But they've seen him spend hours with sick people and never asking anything for himself. In fact, he's going to say later in the Gospel of Mark... I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And they, they, they've seen his example all these years, uh, months, uh, two and a half years. They've seen him pray and, and weep and, and pour his life out for people. And here they are saying, well, he's, he's going to come into a kingdom. He, we believe he's King Jesus. And somehow, no, we don't understand this thing about dying and rising from the dead. That doesn't make sense to us. But we know he's the Messiah, and so he's going to have a kingdom. He talks about the kingdom is coming. So he's obviously going to be the king. Uh, I wonder which one of us he's going to pick to be vice king. Who's going to be prime minister? Who's going to be secretary of state? And Peter probably said, well, you know, I think it'd be me. You know, after all, I'm Peter. And I was the one who spoke up. And then James and John said, well, now, wait a minute. I mean, this is my imagination. It's not in the scripture. James and John may have said, well, now, now wait a minute. You know, Peter, I don't, you're not, you're not any more important than we are. And then each of them began to argue, well, well, who's the greatest? Is that hard to imagine? In a way, it's kind of hard, you know, but 
thinking that they'd been with Jesus all this time. But in a way, it's not hard to imagine. It's kind of like that's the way humans tend to be. And they're arguing about, well, I think I'm greater than you. I think I'm more important. John may have said, well, you know, I'm the one that Jesus seems to love the best. And Peter says, yeah, but I'm the spokesman. And so they're arguing about who's to be the greatest. And so he sat down. And that's important, by the way, in in Judaism, when the rabbi was getting ready to teach something very, very important, he didn't stand, he sat. And so when he sat down, it was kind of like, okay, guys, I'm getting ready to teach you something really important. And he called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first or great, important, then he must be last. And he must be the servant of all. He said, now you've seen, you've seen what I've done over the years. And by the way, in just a few short weeks, he's going to be gathering with his disciples in an upper room the night before he's to be crucified. And he's going to take off his robe and wrap himself with a towel and take a little basin of water and he's going to get down on his knees and he's going to wash the feet of each one of his disciples. That's servant work. That's what servants did in the home back then. And uh, he said, you guys want to be great? And by the way, do you want to be great? you want to be great in the kingdom of God? There's nothing wrong with that. We ought to all want to be great in the kingdom of God. Jesus did not scold them for wanting to be great. He says, you want to be great? That's great. Yeah. I'm glad you want to be great. It's just that you don't understand. You think greatness is measured by how many people look up to you as their authority or their ruler. But he said, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. He said, in my kingdom, greatness is measured by how many people look to you as their servant. It kind of grates, doesn't it, a little bit? Doesn't it just kind of think, well, you know, I thought greatness was measured by how much you have and what position you have and how many people serve you. Jesus said, that, that is the way it is in the world. He said, that's the, way, that's the way greatness is measured out here among people in the world. But he said, we're talking about a new kind of king and a new kind of kingdom. And he said, in my kingdom, the way it works is just the opposite. Everything's upside down. In my kingdom, greatness is measured by service. And he said, if you want to be great, be a servant. And if you want to be greater, serve more. And if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you put everybody ahead of yourself. And you serve 
everybody. You're a servant of all people. That is just so counterintuitive. And then Jesus picked up a little child. Some people think this might have been Simon Peter's child. I don't know uh, where they got that idea, but I read in several of the commentaries that many people believe this was Simon Peter's little boy. He took a child and he put him in the, in the middle of them. And then he took him in his arms and he said to his disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not just me, but him who sent me. So he says, uh, here's the little kid. He has nothing that he can do for you. He has, he's, as far as society is concerned, he's not important. He's not a king. He's not a boss. He's not a entrepreneur. He's not an owner. He's not an important person. And if you receive this little child, in other words, if you, if you give your life to serve him, then he said, you're not just receiving him, you're receiving me too. And you're not just receiving me, you're receiving the one who has sent me. And by the way, that's one reason over the years that I have dearly loved children. Because Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom. There's something about now, not childish, but childlike. There's a difference between childlikeness and childishness. But childlikeness is children have a certain element of trust. They, they believe until that trust is damaged, and of course it usually gets damaged by the time they're grown like we are, you know. But little children, they just trust. They just believe what Dad says. And Paul could get up here today and he could say to Cookie, uh, Cookie, stand here and fall backwards and I'll catch you. And what would Cookie do? She would do it, yeah. She'd say, well, if Daddy says he'll catch me, He'll catch me. And he'd fall back. She'd fall back. You'd catch her, wouldn't you? Yeah. Little children just trust. Now, if he did that to me, (laughs) I might say, I don't know about that. Why don't you try that with uh, Cookie? (laughs) No. Something about trust that kind of diminishes as we get older. We get disappointed in people and things like that. We kind of lose our ability to trust. But uh, children are, are, are trusting. Children are playful. They, they don't take life as seriously. And uh, there, there are a lot of elements of childishness that we don't want to see, but childlikeness is where we just trust. If you say it, I believe it. 
And in fact, we have to be careful with children, don't we? Because if we tell them something, they'll just believe it. We have to make sure we tell them the truth, don't we? And uh, I can remember uh, when I was in grade school, my teacher would tell me something. I'd come home, my mother would say, well, no, that's not right. I'd say, yeah, it is. My teacher said, you know. And if the teacher said it, had to be right. And uh, so children believe, they trust. So Jesus said, this is the way you enter the kingdom. You become like a little child. And this whole, I uh, see, and uh, then he said, and whoever receives, well, I just read that, whoever receives such a child receives me. Now, what Jesus is saying here, in all this teaching is that the entrance into the kingdom is humility. Amen. Humility. And do you know what keeps people out of the kingdom? Is pride. Self-centeredness. Arrogance. Wanting my own way. Over in the book of Proverbs, I think it's chapter 6, it says there are seven things that God hates. We don't think of God hating anything, do we? But he says there are seven things that God hates, and the very first thing on the list is pride, a proud look, an arrogant heart. God hates pride. Why does God hate pride? Well, he hates it because pride is what uh, developed the devil. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan at one time was a beautiful angel of light. God did not create the devil. He created an angel, a beautiful, wonderful, marvelous angel of light named Lucifer, the light bearer. That's what the name Lucifer means. And the Bible says there was a day, we don't understand, it's a mystery, but there was a day when Lucifer, who seemed to have been kind of like the, the worship leader of heaven, that he said in his heart, I will ascend. I want to be worshipped. I don't think it's right for me to take all this worship and give it to God. I deserve some of it. And so when he said, I will ascend. In fact, there are seven different I wills that Satan says. Lucifer said and immediately he was cast out of the presence and became the adversary the satan the, the enemy of God and the enemy of man why? because of pride no wonder God hates pride pride developed the devil pride also ruined the race God creates Adam and Eve, and he says to them, Look, all this is yours. Enjoy it. All I want you to do is just, just trust me. And then Satan, who had been developed by pride, says to them, Wouldn't you like to be like God? You don't have to trust him. You don't have to believe what he says. Stand up for yourself. And... They do. And pride ruins the human race. 
And then pride causes all kinds of division. Here among the disciples, here this this band of men that had followed Jesus for two and a half years, and here they are arguing among themselves. And they're angry with one another. Later we're told that one of them, that two of them, their mother, the mother of two of them, went to Jesus and said, Can my sons sit on the right hand and the left hand when you come into your kingdom? And when the other disciples heard it, the Bible says they were all angry. And that's what pride does. It causes division, causes uh, conflict. In fact, the Bible says only by pride comes contention. Only by pride comes contention. So whenever there's argument, strife, if you trace it back to its source, you'll find that pride is right there. Arrogance, selfishness, pride. So pride causes division. Pride confuses honor. He says, you want to be great? You think the way to be great is by being proud and arrogant? No. He says, the way to be great is by humbling yourself. Pride rejects other people. Pride causes people to reject one another. Pride creates exclusiveness. It causes the next few verses in, in Mark talks about John's, I mean, the, the disciples come to Jesus and said, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name and we told them to stop it. Because they're not one of us. And uh, Jesus said, no, don't stop them. He said, nobody who does a work in my name will be able to speak against me, speak evil of me. But pride causes us to draw circles real small and say, we're right. causes churches to be jealous of one another, competitive with one another. When I was in college, I used to go to the, 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 the college I attended, had the West Tennessee Pastors Conference, and it uh, met once a month. And I tell you, I just, you could just feel pride oozing out of a lot of those guys as they were competing with one another and criticizing one another. And sometimes I hear churches today, well, I, I don't think this church ought to be doing that. Church. Look, leave them alone. If this church wants to sing high church songs, a real have a pipe organ and, and everything like that, that's their business. And they're reaching some people that... We wouldn't reach. And then over here is another church, and it's just real wild and crazy, and they speak in tongues, and they run around, jump around, and everything like that. And we say, well, I don't like that. Well, 
then don't do it. But don't criticize them. If they're loving Jesus, then let them love him in the way that's comfortable to them. They're not making you do that. So I, I just say pride makes us want to judge other people and criticize other people. And Jesus said, look, if they're doing it in my name. Now, if they're doing it in error, if they're doing it in, in they're denying the deity of Christ and the sacrificial death of Jesus and the resurrection, then that's a different matter. <clears throat> but if they're doing it in Jesus' name, then let's pray for them. Let's be excited for them. Somebody said to me the other day, said, isn't there another church going in next door to you over here? I said, well, it could be. I, saw, I've, I talked to a man, uh, a man that was over there the other day. I went over, saw him, and I went over and visited with him. And he said uh, that he's thinking about, he and his congregation, thinking about starting a new church there in this empty building next to us. My point in the right direction, isn't it, this way? And this way, yeah. And uh, uh, somebody said, well, what do you think about this? Am I putting in a new church right there next to your church? I said, well, I think that's great. I wouldn't care if we had 20 churches. We could change the name, make it Church Road. It suit me. Because I said, there's enough people in Glen Heights to fill 20 churches. And right now, most of them aren't going anywhere. So you say, yeah, but... What if, they, what if they reach more people than you do? I say, well, praise the Lord. If they're reaching more people, and uh, so let's don't be, don't be jealous. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be envious. Rejoice in the blessing of God for other people. It's, to me, it's, it's like children. You know, sometimes you have three or four kids in a family and one of them gets something, somebody gives them something and the other two don't get anything. Now the natural response to that is to be mad. The natural response is, well, why did I, you know. The right response is to say, I'm so happy for my brother. Look what he got. That's wonderful. But that's not normal, is it? That's not normal. But it is right. And that's what, see, pride just turns all the focus into me. What am I getting? Jesus said, no, let's turn the focus out this way and ask the question, what am I giving? What am I giving? How can I lay my life down for others? How can I serve? Pride says, who can serve me? Humility says, who can I serve? How can I give? Pride says, what do I get? Humility says, what do I give? And Jesus says, this is the way of the kingdom. He said, this is the way I've lived my life. And he says later, I didn't come to be served. Now, I mean, boy, if anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. But he said, I know who I am. I don't have to have people serving me 
to make me feel good about myself. I already know who I am. And I can lay aside all my rights, all my prerogatives, and I can get down on my knees and I can wash the dirty feet of selfish disciples because I know who I am. And when you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to be served. You can have the uh, privilege and the authority to serve other people. And that's what Jesus wants to see. And we just maybe I ought to be careful about doing this, but I, I just want to brag on you a little bit. In this church, I've told so many people, you know, I've pastored for 55 years. I know I don't look that old, but I have. And, uh, and I've pastored a half dozen churches. And I've never, ever pastored a church where I feel as much love and service as I do right here Bear Creek. So I say that to God's glory, really, but also to to say, keep serving one another. And the worst thing that could happen to a church is for pride, arrogance, self-serving to begin to creep in and for people, somebody to begin to think, well, I deserve... No, let's don't worry about deserve. Let's worry about serve. And you want to be great? Wonderful. That's great. Jesus said, I want you to be great too. But here's the way you be great. Is you lay your life down for others. You pour your life out for others. And you serve pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture, this reminder to us that pride is so deadly, that it destroys, that it does not bring happiness, and that even when we get our way, we're not satisfied with it. But when we learn to give, when we learn to serve, when we learn to lay our life down, then you give to us a sense of satisfaction and joy that the world doesn't even understand, can't even possibly comprehend. So help us to serve one another in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.